think I was just at a stage where I just finished a summer season in Cornwall and I didn't know where else to go. <laughs> like I'd done the ski seasons, I'd done a bit of Europe and I thought I'm going to go somewhere a bit further. You know, I'd worked with a few Australians and Kiwis through the time and yeah, I wanted to go and just check it out. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Regional Western Australia is still an untapped oasis for many interstate dwellers, but it's awash with extraordinary wineries and restaurants that make a huge contribution in regards to the state's food identity. What's it like running the kitchen of one of the best regional restaurants in Western Australia? Dean Wood is the head chef of Smallwater Estate Winery in Western Australia. Dean, how are you? I'm good, Alison. How are you? I'm good. It's good to get you on the show. You're um, at an amazing venue that's uh, won many accolades. Um, how are things at the moment? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, we've um, just won a few more awards for the wine, which is always good. Very nice and busy, building up for summer. Yeah, it's going well. You've been there for just a couple of weeks now. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, it's, um, I've been up here just about a month. Now the restaurant was actually closed for a couple of years due to the COVID. So um, I've taken it on as a sort of a collaboration with Small Water Wines. Um, and we've had really good local support starting out. You know, people um, obviously wanting something in the area to open up and do something a bit different. You know, being in the country, it's um, you know, fairly dominated by pubs and cafes. So, yeah, I think it's um, been something that's wanted to have something a little bit different out here. Tell us a little bit about the region and the produce that you're tapping into from it. Uh, we're, we're here, obviously, we're, um, so we're based in Donnybrook, the winery, but um, we have access to the Southern Forest foods as well. Um, and even just, a, well, even just around us now, there's orchards, so there's plenty of fruit, which is, you know, Donnybrook's Apple Town is famous for that. Um, and endless supplies of vegetables, you know, we get avocados coming through now. And um, in terms of meats, we've got lamb, it's plentiful over here. Um, yeah, we're, we're spoiled. And we also have Marin dams on the property. So I've got free access to Marin, which is really for a chef, you know. Give us a sense of um, sort of what you're cooking there at the moment. I know it's early days, but is there a dish or two that you can tell us about that sort of exemplifies what you're doing? Um, well, we've got a, a small share menu um, and just a couple of mains. It's a really small kitchen and it's just me in there at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. um, luckily, it's only a 30 seat venue, but we do have um, an outside area that we're planning to open up this summer, which is another 30. Let's see how I go. Yeah. Um, uh, one of our dishes that's gone very well, that's, um, I guess, some more of a signature, use a better word of mine, was um, rolled pork belly. So we're getting pork belly from um, Plantagenet Porks, uh, Mount Barker at the moment, um, through Donnybrook Butchers. And we, well, yeah, we, um, it's almost like a pancetta type cure we rub through the middle we just leave that for half an hour and then roll it up dry the skin off and run it through the oven about an hour and a half at 160 and then another 30 minutes about 190 
and then just let that chill, rest on the bench. And then we put it in the fridge uncovered overnight. And then to, they just get sliced up and through the oven on a high heat, like 215, 220. And it just crackles up beautifully. You got this um, fennel star anise with a sweetness and brown sugar through the flesh. And then just the crackle on the outside. And this, you know, it's just a winner. Is, is there pressure in regards to what you create on the menu to sort of go with what the winery is producing? Yeah, I try to keep it, um, you know, fairly reflective of the wines as well. Um, I'm not, yeah, doing anything too outrageous flavour-wise. It's fairly European-based, you know, lots of um, fresh flavours. So um, that's the flavours of the wine as well. You know, we've got Chardonnays and Zinfandels, which is really popular. The rosé, which is made of Zinfandel grape, is um, the one that's winning in awards at the moment. So, yeah, I work into those flavours, you know. Well, I want to I want to explore a little bit more into what you're doing there and what you plan on doing as we get to the warmer months. Um, but you, you spent the last six years at Taylor Street Quarters. Tell us a little bit about that project. Yeah, that was um, that was an interesting one. So. My partner is originally from Esperance, Sophie. Um, we met in Melbourne many years ago now. And um, we were in Margaret River, I believe. I was working at Maury's there um, with Tony Howells, with the legend. Um, and um, yeah, the opportunity came up for, it was called the Tea Rooms at the time. It was the Tea Rooms, what they always know it as. And, um, and Sophie and her mother, who had some you know, nostalgic value in it, um, sort of suggested we should go for it. <laughs> so, yeah, Sophie's mum, Jane, you know, sort of funded the project and Sophie and I were down there running it. Obviously, Jane was running it as well on her side of things, but Sophie and I were living down there on the floor and, you know, making it happen. Um it's a historic building there. Tell us a bit about its history uh, before it became a restaurant. Before it became a restaurant, it was um, an old nurse's quarter. I believe it was moved from uh, Wellard, a town called Wellard, in the 80s. But the building itself is from 1933, from memory. The main part has had a few little extensions over the years. Um, so, yeah, it was moved down to Esperance. It was a nurse's quarter from then in the late 80s and then became a tea room i think just a few years later and by tea rooms it was small but it was just one part of what it is now it's um we were licensed for 300 people down there so over the years um got a liquor license and all of that so yeah certainly changed a lot tell us a little bit about um taylor street and you what was it like working with your a partner but also what, what and what were you guys doing uh, you know, it um, always comes with its challenges. <laughs> and when we started up, our daughter was 18 months at the time, and we were fortunate enough that um, it had a caretaker's cottage on site, so we were living there and um, looking in and out as we could. Um, that was, you know, was quite interesting. And the first couple of years, you know, as you do when you've got stars in your eyes, we went pretty hard. We were doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and open six days over summer and yeah it was pretty wild <laughs> I, I don't know how we did it now looking back it's just a blunt <laughs> um, 
But um, no, it was good. You know, we started out doing what we wanted to do, which wasn't, you know, to everyone in the community's taste. So I don't know, we probably went through about 10 menus in the first couple of months to try and, you know, find the middle ground that can get people more, but also it's not sort of selling your soul as such. Um, so we found a good balance, you know, we did really well, we were really popular. Um, we introduced a few things like ceviche and croquettes and, you know, like stuff that's popular in the city that hasn't got quite down that far yet. You know, yeah, but also at the same time, you know, lunch was fish tacos and burgers with chips and all done well. Like we were making burger buns for the first few years, so COVID took the wind out of us. Um, you know, we were doing it all right. What triggered the move to a small water estate? Um, like you said, we had the um, Taylor Street we've been doing for six years now, and our lease was five and five and five. So after five years, we decided that we would sign the lease, but with the intent to sell the business. It's getting big for us. Um, we had a second child during our Taylor Street years, and yeah, we decided that at least one parent needs to not be working weekends. <laughs> Um, yeah we decided that um, we'd make the move also we found um, Esperance is beautiful we loved it there it's just um, we're not used to the remoteness you know it's a long drive to another populated town so um, yeah we sort of had our uh, um, dreams of Margaret River we were there for a year before we um, moved down to Esperance, you know, we reflected on that a fair bit and decided this is the sort of area we want to be in. We still want to live in the country, but be close enough to the cities if we wish to go and do things. It's an amazing part of the world and I, I want to explore that a bit more and, and what you're going to do uh, shortly. But take us back to when you were young. You mentioned um, from Cornwall. Take us back there. What, what was it like growing up and, yeah. and what sort of role did food play for you? Oh, it was amazing. So I grew up in a town called St. Ives, which is beautiful and fairly well-known. Um, it's definitely a tourist town. So, you know, there's, uh, I don't even know now, it must be a couple of hundred eateries in a fairly small town. <laughs> um, and it's, I reckon it's a bit of a rite of passage for all kids to start out in hospitality there because jobs are plenty. Um, so, yeah, I think I was probably 12 or 13 and I started washing dishes for a bit of money on the weekend and you know I, I enjoyed the atmosphere of the kitchen you know it was always crazy there was always different personalities I don't even know how many different nationalities I was working with at one point and you know my opening and you know dishy job back then as well it's changed slightly over the years but I was gutting sardines the beard in 20 kilos the muscles to shift straining you know to, to do everything and then clean down the kitchen because everyone sleeps. <laughs> yeah, you're made to work, but I loved it. Like, I just got into it. And when I finished school, I went to college to study music of all things. And much as I was enjoying that, I was doing evenings in the kitchen still and managed to move myself up from the dishes to entrees and pizzas. And yeah, I was finding that I was enjoying that more than I was going to college. So yeah, I stuck with that. And being in Cornwall as well, like, um, I didn't realize until I 
done a little spin in Europe and then came back around. But the produce there is just everywhere as well. You know, you can drive and pick up what you want for the day and be back at work in time to prep it. Yeah, everything's no further than 20 minutes away. It's just incredible. In the early years, what were the really sort of important venues and people that you worked with as you built your career? Well, for me, it was, wasn't until I came back in my early 20s. So I did a little spell around Europe, going back and forth. Um, the first place I went that I felt was out of my league was um, it's a place called Bustafers in Truro, which was the capital city. Um, I just moved back there and I'd seen that they were advertising for chefs. So I went in and applied for the lowest role in the offering. They're called them. And I'm yeah, thinking that it wasn't quite up to the. Um, it was a Rosette winning restaurant at the time. So I felt it was beyond me, but I'd give it a go. Um, I went in, did my trial. The head chef, Rob Duncan, was just unflappable. He's just one of those people that you don't, you can't read them. He's just. He was there, he, why he was getting on with things. Um, and I didn't know if I was doing a good job or not. <laughs> I was getting on with what I was told to do. Um, then when I sat down with him at the end, he was like, do you want the job? And I was obviously like, oh, yes. <laughs> but he was like, do you want the commie chef job or do you want the chef de party job? And I was like, um, am I good enough for the chef de party job? <laughs> He was like, yes, you can obviously cook. You obviously know what you're doing. You have the chef to party job. So I started from there. And then six months later, I moved up to junior sous chef. And then about another six months after that, Rob moved over to a seafood restaurant called Indaba at the time. I think it's called Hooked now. And then me and the sous chef from Bustabas moved over with him. Started that venture and... A year after that, we won a rosette there as well. Take us into that kitchen. Are there any dishes or techniques that stand out from that time that you can share with us? Oh, yeah. Um, Indaba was, again, just a different experience. It was obviously it was solely seafood. When you know, solely, we had to have a couple of offerings, but um, we would get fresh fish daily. We'd get a phone call in the morning to tell us what was good in the market. We'd order it and be there by the afternoon. We'd leave some hole in the display and then prep down the rest. And we had a live crab and lobster tank as well. Yeah, people would choose out what they want. We'd walk around and grab them and yeah, kill them to water. <laughs> Get a knife through the head and then into the steamer. Um, so that was just an experience. And there were so many good dishes. There was, um, I believe it's called Mowali, the turmeric-based um, Indian curry. That was pretty incredible. Uh, I'm just working with fresh fish every day. Hake became a constant favourite of mine. Yeah, I learned how to fillish, fillet fish properly because obviously we had them holding the display. And going out to the fish markets as well. Every, um, I think we'd go out every month or six weeks, get up at 4am, drive to Newell into the fish markets and just be part of it. Incredible. <laughs> You briefly mentioned that before this time of um, rising the ranks in Cornwall, you spent some time through Europe. Do you have any stories of what that was like and the influence it had on you? Oh, yeah, that was um, something different. At that point, I believe I was working, you know, I was working in kitchens as a job. I was just having fun. Um, 
you know, my first stint was in Andorra doing a ski season. I worked at a hotel. English person in the kitchen at the time. Everyone else was South American or the head chef, Jesus, was Mexican. Um, um, yeah, that was a different world. Um, I went from there and I did a bit of um, private chefing in the French Alps for a, a top 10 rich list Englishman. Um, so basically I lived out in France at his apartment and you know, it was basically on call to cook for multiple guests whenever they needed me, which included driving over to Switzerland and yeah, it was all very crazy. Do, do you remember a particular dish or feast that you had to do while working as a private chef? Um, yeah, there was, um, we had his business clients out, which included a couple of lords and um, yeah, um, how much I can say, really. Um, <laughs> Tell us about the food. Um, <laughs> I'm going back quite a while now, but we had um, smoked duck breast with balsamic strawberry salad. Um, we did a, well, I keep saying we, it's just me. <laughs> um, uh, we did a lobster thermidor with pickled apple and no, almost a Wardorf type salad for that. And a dessert was a on top of my head here. I think it was a vodka infused lemon mousse with blueberry macarons. Just different. Yeah. Which I still has photos of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like being in a role like that? Sort of where you're almost on call and you know, your day could be almost anything. It's completely different to what I was used to. So obviously, um, yeah, you know, you're called up and you just got to rush to the supermarket and buy what you need. You know, luckily in the French Alps, everything was coming up you know, from France. It was always good produce, expensive, but good. Um, so yeah, you're constantly thinking on your feet. And I remember his partner went through a week of um, basically on a raw diet. So that was interesting. You know, you're constantly having to learn to accommodate different needs, which was, you know, help me build some experience for later in life for sure what led to the move to australia i think i was just at a stage where i just finished a summer season in cornwall and i didn't know where else to go <laughs> like i'd done the ski seasons i'd done a bit of europe and i thought i'm gonna go somewhere a bit further you know i'd worked with a few australians and Kiwis through the time and yeah i wanted to go and just check it out it's fairly random really but yeah, and years later, I'm still here, so it's obviously the right move. What was it like when you first arrived? Were you surprised? Yeah, I, well, I went straight into, I flew into Perth and went to um, stay in a backpackers in Cottesloe. And it was just, yeah, I didn't really know where I was or what I was doing. <laughs> um, the next, well, maybe two days later, I went to Fremantle and you know, I fell in love with Fremantle, beautiful little city. Um, I started applying for jobs and going around. The food was quite different to, it was obviously all like the classic Italians and stuff, but um, I think it's La, was it Barchetta on the Collerslow Harbour front there? Um, on beachfront, sorry, the harbour. Um, yeah, I was introduced to the world of Australian brunch, which was, um, you know, it's very different. Certainly not your um, greasy spoon fry up that I was used to. Oh, pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. 
our carlins on toast it's pretty yeah nice to see breakfast being a bit fresher <laughs> where where did you find your feet in perth um my i ended up living in south Fremantle, but um i found work at mosman's restaurant in mosman park one of the day i think is there anymore but um loads of good chefs went through there the head chef at the time when i was there was paul zamet um who's had a few restaurants since then worked with charlie snadden wilson who's got his own thing now in melbourne clover wine store so worked with some really handy people there and a beautiful restaurant i think two weeks after i started we were in um the crown for um the gold plate awards where they won best seafood and best restaurant you know, I thought it was a pretty cool job at the time getting straight into an award ceremony. <laughs> it's free food and free alcohol, you know, as a backpacker, that's always good. <laughs> you had um, such amazing experience of seafood when you were working in Cornwall. How, how different was the seafood here in Australia when you landed and getting used to that? Um, I think quite different. Um, it seems to be uh, quite different rules with, um, especially with shellfish and stuff, how you coming in frozen and stuff like that but also you've got um more access to things like prawns and that um one thing i did find is the fish flavors like um obviously we've got colder waters the um and there's more variety in the fish flavors in cornwall than there is in australia but i think the palate thing over the years i've started to be able to identify better and there was one point where to me snapper was snapper <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It not matter if it was pink, queen, or king. Snapper was the snapper, but yeah, over the years I've managed to um, yeah, be able to identify the flavors better, and they're certainly different when it started. You spent some time in Melbourne as well. T- tell us about um, the experiences there. Melbourne. Um, well, I started out initially just working for a um, events company, which was pretty interesting to spend the days in the um prep kitchen and then off to this random events at night so hack and organize and then you know i remember one being on a rooftop for building in the cbd my very first one was um for bmw the launch of their new futuristic cars so we had to make all the food blue and silver which was an interesting challenge you know make um we set you in the shape of cars and put them onto obviously it was hot it might have been scotch we glazed silver somehow um yeah a little car shaped block of you onto the steak on the table so it starts to melt in front of the guest like, it's pretty impressive stuff like it's clever and then from there i went to um co black coffee roasters and got introduced hard to the world of um australian brunch and all the 700 covers a day with six chefs just pumping out breakfast but like a good breakfast you know like um off the top of my head are oh, zucchini fritters corn salsa that was popular at the time and um we did a spanner crab omelet vietnamese style and now i'm jim and featuring coriander salad it's all um yeah there was breakfast then there was the non-traditional breakfast ham hock and leek croquettes i'm pretty sure we had on the poached egg as well it's all um yeah it was it was cool it was fun it's definitely different 
What did you take from your time in Melbourne? Um, I think I just took a lot more diversity. Like I managed to learn, especially doing the catering as well. Like it was, um, you know, almost a different menu to every event and being able to adapt and work in different places. Like I feel very comfortable now, you know, within reason, walking into any kitchen and being able to find my feed and keep up. Yeah. Yeah. I think I found, um, yeah, be able to be more comfortable. Why did you move back to Western Australia? Um, I met my partner Sophie in Melbourne and we fell pregnant. <laughs> I had nothing. We were um, over in WA in the UK. So, yeah, we made the move back over to Perth and started out there. It wasn't a bad thing. Like, we'd both been there before. We were loving our time in Melbourne, but both coming from small country towns, we couldn't really see ourselves raising a child in the city. Yeah, that was um, where we spent our fun 20s. You mentioned you spent times uh, at, at Maury's with Tony Howell. Do you have any stories of uh, what it was like working with him? Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was just the well-known legend. Yeah, he's a WA celeb chef. Um, most of my stories with Tony is um, telling you stories. Um, um, no, I remember... Um, as well as the food we were putting out, we'd be there till like two in the morning sometimes, just deep cleaning and riding rosters and, you know, having a couple of drinks. And yeah, like he was just a great chef to work with. Again, he was very inspirational. He was just, um, yeah, he's definitely a crazy guy. Well, as, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're now at Smallwater Estate Winery and it's, you're only a couple of weeks in, but tell us a little bit about your yeah. cooking and your your approach. Where does the creation begin with a dish for you? Uh, it begins at the produce. Like I'm changing the menu weekly at the moment. I keep a couple of favourites on, but because um, obviously I've come from working, you know, lunch and dinners, I found myself with more time just doing the ordinary lunches at the moment so I'm able to go around and visit the farms visit the roadside stalls and now my week is going around and picking the produce and working from there so Marin's featured a lot at the moment um, there's a classic small water estate recipe from when they started out however many years ago <laughs> um, for a Marin and Chardonnay pie which I've been for the yeah, it's old here the last couple of weeks still. Mm-hmm. So we've had that on here and, you know, that's been a hit. I think a lot of people have been happy to see it back because they would have come to have it a few years ago and not been able to. So, yeah, put that on with my own slight twist to it. With a leek in there and some roasted garlic and extra flavour, but, yeah. And, you know, again, we're a bit heating up with Marin on site. I'll always speak to her own because it's here. You know, we'll look at doing something a bit more fresh. We've done you know, some grilled marin, roast garlic butter, fresh chili. You know, just, um, yeah, something a bit different. What sort of impact has this change had on you and the fact that sort of you, it's just you in the kitchen sort of almost doing what you want? Oh, it's, okay. It's, it's very different at the start. The freedom is incredible. Like it's um, like I say, I can just 
go for a drive and choose what I want to put on. <laughs> um, whereas Taylor Street, obviously, I had that to a point, but you're still trying to um, accommodate everybody. You know, you've got to have the chips on the menu because people like chips. I'm not quite tied to that small water, which is great. It's got me more relaxed but more focused again on food. Like I think especially post-COVID because you know, during the COVID months, we like the lockdown part, we um, went to takeaway. So we were still working every day, but you know our revenue went down like 90%. <laughs> so we're still there every day. We're not really you know, just making enough to pay the people that we kept on. So post that, it was just about keeping the business going. So, you know, the focus was probably adjusted more to margins than it was about creating specials or you know, doing necessarily what you wanted to do. So, yeah, I feel like I've got a lot more freedom when it comes to food now. And again, just being in a food bowl in WA, it's just like spoiled for choice. <laughs> yeah. Um What's your plans for the next year or so, sort of as the menu develops? And, not, and you mentioned there'll be an outdoor area as well in summer. Do you have a plan on where you want to take things? Um, I just want to keep building it up. I want to obviously get it busier. Like we've had a great local support, but it'd be really nice to see the tourists coming through in summer. Um, the menu can only be a certain size, like I said, it's a very small kitchen. But um, I certainly want to bring it up it's a casual venue. It's never going to be fine dining, but you know, refined, casual, certainly. I think we're sort of there now. It's just um, so I change it weekly. So I've got a pretty um, a good range of what I can do, and I just want to bring it to um, you know, want to make the uh, the food and restaurant side of it as popular as the wines. Well, you have a very uh, unique opportunity uh, in hospitality where you are at the moment. Um, what, what do you love about what you do? Um, well, I love the food. I honestly love the produce side of it. Like I, um, I think I've got the skills to be, but I'd quite happily be a farmer. I think <laughs> I'd be more enjoyable than going down to the farms. And said so there's roadside stalls are plenty um, around Donnybrook. Um, it's honestly just probably not the most enjoyable, but it's definitely a very enjoyable part of the job. And they've been able to cook in my own little kitchen, my own little world, you know, to create, think about what I can put out for the weekend. I think it's definitely um yeah, an enjoyable part of having something smaller. Well, I, I know you've just uh, started the role, but very much looking forward to seeing where you take it, Dean. And it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again yeah. soon. No, I will, absolutely. And thank you for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.